Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. An absolute pleasure to be with you this morning. I don't know if you know this, but there are pastors and there are pastors, and y'all got really lucky with yours. It has been absolutely phenomenal to see my old housemate at work and in his natural element. This morning, I'm here to talk to you about French missions. Um, usually, the first question that people ask is, why France? I hope by the end of this, you'll understand why our family has fallen in love with this country and with these people. Um, we'll see if I do a good job getting us there. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. But I think first thing that I need to do is I need to introduce you to our family. My wife, Bridgie, wanted to be here today, but our babysitter got COVID because, yes, even several years after the beginning of this pandemic, it is still messing up plans. I have my wife and my two kids, and we have been in France since 2018. We arrived in 2018 not speaking a word of French and got to spend a couple of years learning how to speak the language before we could start getting into ministry there. This country is one that's pretty interesting because the language barrier is actually quite high. France as a country kind of has a reputation. I don't know if you've ever been, but they do kind of have a reputation. And like many reputations... There's a grain of truth in it. French people do think they're the best. They do think their culture's the best. They do think that everyone in the world would be better off if they were just like them. Maybe we notice that because we're Americans and we think the same way. Not sure. Our current assignment there in the country of France is to plant a church. You might wonder why. Aren't they Catholic? Don't they know? Hasn't the gospel already been preached there? One of the things that I've heard told to me in the past as I discuss our assignment in France is they had their chance. They rejected Jesus. Why are we wasting our time going there now? They won't believe anyway. But here's what I'm convinced of. This is, this is the whole message. I'm convinced that God is telling us to go. God is telling us to proclaim, and God is telling us that he will provide us with a harvest, and that God will then send us again somewhere else. I think our group, our tribe, our movement, the Christian Missionary Alliance, is unique in this, because we started as a missions movement 150 years ago, desiring to bring the gospel to places where it isn't. But here's the thing, there are places in your community where the gospel isn't. And I love our name, Christian Missionary Alliance, and I intentionally leave out and, because I don't think it's Christians here and missionaries there. I think it's Christian missionaries here and Christian missionaries there. And so let's see what we can develop together. Let's read Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. 
because frankly, the word of God's better than me, and so at least you'll get a good chunk of scripture this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth i got to move this ahead on my own. Oh, someone's doing it for me. Thank you. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, this is interesting, because as I said, I think God calls us all to go. Philip is not one of the apostles. He's a deacon. There might be some deacons in this church. Philip is a deacon, and he's the first one sent out by the Spirit of God to go reach somebody from another country who just so happens to be in his. Man, does that sound like the world we live in today. We got a call to go to France. God called us to go. It was in a church service in New York. Pastor got up and spoke and said, someone in this room is called to go over there. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, that's us. And that started a 10-year journey to get to France. Philip gets called to go too. And it's kind of an interesting, an interesting call. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go towards the south road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza into the desert. And you see this wonderful thing. He gets up and he goes. Now, I don't know about you, but often when an angel of the Lord's speaking to me, I think it's the pizza I ate the day before. I'm not sure that that's God telling me to go talk to that person. Maybe that's something I ate. Maybe I slept weird. And if you compare this with Jonah... God shows up to Jonah and says, get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no thank you. I'll be going the other way if you need me. And we had the same kind of thing happen in our lives. We started in New York at Alliance Theological Seminary. I roomed with Andrew. It was great. Teaching at Nyack, things were going good. God closed that door and said, go to Philadelphia. We're in inner city Philadelphia. We're doing ministry. Things are going, eh, okay. God closed that door and said, go to California. We're in California. Things are going really well. 
We asked God, is this just as far as you wanted us to go? Should we stop here? And he said, nope, I'm calling you to France. Leave this great ministry and head over there. And at any point, either Philip or we could have disobeyed and be like, no, that's far enough. I don't want to keep going. You all have that same option. When God tells you to go somewhere and do something, you have the option to say no. Because often God's going to call somebody like this eunuch, who's different from us, who's outside the kingdom. And it's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to make us feel a little weird. Because here we have this Ethiopian, a eunuch. Obviously, he's rich. He's got a chariot. I ain't got a chariot. He's different. He's outside. He's other. Who is Jesus sent for? The lost sheep of Israel. Every time Jesus deals with somebody from outside, he's like, I'm not called to you. I'm called to these people. And here you have a deacon being sent out. Now, the, the, the apostles are where? They're in Jerusalem. They've been in Jerusalem for a long time. This story happens just after the stoning of another deacon. Again, not an apostle that we're getting focused on, but somebody who's just a servant of the king in the body, not the leaders. And this is two stories back to back where you have Stephen proclaiming the gospel, and now you got this guy, Philip, and God's like, my leaders are not getting with the picture. I've got to speed this up. I've got to get people moving. I've got to get somebody outside. For us, that's the French. That's where God's told us to go. This is the foreign people God's told us to love. And French people don't have a chance to hear about Jesus any more than this Ethiopian did. Because there aren't any believers there, or at least not very many. And they do make us a bit uncomfortable. As I said, every stereotype's got a grain of truth. French people are a little rude. Like New Yorkers are a little rude. It's just how it is. It's their culture. They are far off. It does require some sacrifice. It does require some effort to get in. But God sees them, just like God saw this eunuch. And even Philip, I love this. Maybe this is me just reading into it and assuming Philip's more like me than he actually is. Maybe he was like way better at his face than I am. But he's there, he's on the desert road, he sees the eunuch, and he's like, Jesus, you sure? You sure it's this guy right here? You sure it's not somebody else? And the spirit has to say to him, go over and join the chariot. Yes, that guy. And he sees and he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now here's the thing, here's the thing, right? Most people don't actually know what the Bible says. Most people don't actually know who Jesus is, whether that's here or in France. They have ideas about who God is. They have ideas about who Jesus is. Some of them are accurate. And some of them are woefully inadequate, let's say. Our experience in France is that most people, when we talk to them and they describe God, they're like, well, I don't believe in that God. And I'm like, well, I don't believe in that God either. Because the picture you just painted is not who my God is. And so I don't believe in that God any more than you do. I'm following something else. 
And if we think about it, how is it that we came to know Jesus? Think about your own life. Think about your own walk. With rare exception, somebody got to know you. Somebody spent time talking to you. Someone spent time discipling you. Someone spent time walking with you. And then some stuff started to happen in your life. And you were like, I don't understand what's happening to me. And that other person was like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus messing in your life right now. He's showing up. He's doing things. This is what being sent looks like. Sometimes it's dramatic, like with Philip on the road catching this guy, and God serves him up a real softball because here the guy's already reading the Bible, already has the spirit working in him, already is ready, and he just needs somebody to put the final link in the chain so that he can join the kingdom. And friends, that's our job. To be available, to listen Spend time with people and wait for God to show up the opportunity. Because here's the thing. We went to France, but God was already there. We went to plant a church, but God was already there calling his lost sheep. We're not starting a new thing. We're joining God in what he's already doing. God is already at work in the lives of people around you. Let me teach you just a real simple Simple exercise that you can do. Ready? Here you go. I was a high school and high school teacher and a college professor for a bit, so I love homework. Here's your homework for the week. If you're the kind of person that takes notes and you want to write your homework down on the top of the page, due by next Sunday, here's what it is. And I'll check up with Andrew that you do it or not. When you're home tonight, sit on the end of your bed, poor bed, set a timer on your phone for five minutes, and say, God... Who do you want me to go to? And just wait. He will give you an answer. Someone will come to mind. There will be an opportunity. Or he'll tell you, okay, okay, my child, I got you. Watch out tomorrow. It's coming. But I guarantee you, God will bring somebody to your mind. And it might be your neighbor who you really don't like, who might be a bit of a jerk. And it might take a while of loving on that person to find the opportunity to introduce them to your Savior. But he will give you a direction. I've never once had somebody report back and go, hey, you know, I did that thing. I went and prayed and I asked God sincerely to whom I was sent. And he said, no one, sit at your home and do nothing. Never once has that happened. I have had people come back and say, you know, I prayed that prayer. In 24 hours, God had shown up and given me an opportunity. Even people who were going on vacation the next day, like they were at church on Sunday and they were leaving on Monday to go somewhere else. They're like, you know what? I prayed that prayer and God showed up. And I got a chance to listen to somebody's story. And I got a chance to love them. And I got a chance to tell them that they're seen, they're known, and they're loved by God. I can't believe that actually happened. That's never happened to me in my Christian walk. And it's like, you don't ask. You don't ask, you can't know. And so, 
if people don't know what the Bible says, if they don't know who Jesus is, if they don't know how he feels about them, what do we have to do? To tell them. This line in 31 is like the ultimate softball in evangelism. How can I know unless someone tells me? And friends, there are times that people will say literal things like that to you when you're there. You've been loving on them. You've been walking with them. You've been sharing your life with them. You've been inviting them over for dinner. You've been spending time in their presence. And something difficult comes up or something good comes up and they go, hey, you know, you've been invested in my life. What do I do with this? How can I understand how to deal with this? And that's your opportunity to be like, I got an answer. Let me tell you how Jesus did that in my life. Let me tell you what he did for me. Not how you're wrong and I'm right, but this has been my experience with my God, that when I was in a similar situation, when I was in this thing, this is how my God showed up. And if you look at France, there's a nice ironic thing that I shared in our group on Thursday. 58% of the population's atheist, and 60% of the population's Catholic. So start doing some math, and you'll see that we've got some issues. There's about one Christian for every 30,000, or every, no, not every 30,000, every 1,000 people. It's tough. It's a tough land. There's no chance for them to get to know a Christian. I can't tell you how many times somebody says, I've never heard any of this before. I've never seen anything like this before. No one's ever allowed me to just be me around them. I've never seen love like this before. I've never seen love in a family like this before. Because no one's there to introduce Jesus. And that's why we're missionaries there. But here's the thing, right? Mm. It's so interesting the way Jesus works. Sure, we're there. But there are people in this community that are just as lost, just as out there, and loved just as much by God. And he's planted you all here. I am not comfortable calling myself a missionary. I don't even do it. It's a very loaded word in French. You know, colonialism, Africa, sad stories. You know, it's rough. So I don't really like that term. But I'll only use it on one condition. And that's if you all will use it of yourselves. Because we like to think, we like to think that the missionaries are those folks doing stuff over there. And I don't think anything that I'm doing or anything that I'm saying this morning is all that radical or all that different than what any one of you is doing here. The only difference is we have people here to do it. 
We don't have people there to do it. And it costs time, money, and sacrifice to get in the door over there so that we can create what we have here, there. I hope that made sense. The reason I'm convinced that this term missionary applies equally to you is because you're a citizen of heaven and you're in a foreign land called the United States. This is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't home to us. You're making a sacrifice to live in this world and be distant from God for the sake of the lost sheep that he has put around you because it's better for them that you're here. So please, proclaim. And here's the funny thing about proclaiming. People want to hear about Jesus. They don't know that they want to hear about Jesus. You might be like, ooh, slow down, guest speaker. You don't know our context like that. And I'm going to tell you, slow down. You don't know about France. I've had people sit at my dinner table and tell me to get out of their country. Real story. We're doing an alpha class. We're having a dinner. Somebody got forced to come that didn't want to come. And they looked me dead in the eye and said, get out of my country. We don't want you here. What you're selling, nobody's interested in. Everyone thinks you should just go home. And in case you're curious as to how to diffuse that situation, in case you find yourself in one that's similar, that's an interesting opinion. Thank you for sharing it. I will consider it later. Is there anyone else that would like to say something? Goes a really long way to taking the wind out of someone's sails. And it's true that in that same conversation, there was another person sitting at the table, also an atheist of the third generation, also French, also very into French culture and French history, and he said, you know, here was the other opinion. Is there anybody else who would like to speak? Here's the other opinion. You know, I used to think exactly like you did, but I've spent the last two years getting to know these people, and all those things you just said aren't true. That's not what they actually believe. And that goes even further to taking the wind out of somebody's sails when it's like, hey, man, you missed. People do want to hear about Jesus but they've got a lot of false ideas about who Jesus is that we can disabuse them of. That No, that's actually not who my God is. I understand why you would think that. I could understand how you would, you know, following news and media and all the things that are happening, I could understand why you would arrive at that conclusion, but I'm telling you that's not the God I'm following. Walk with me for a while and see. And I love this too because eunuch sees the water, and he's like, puddle on the side of the road. That's good enough, right? Like, I've been to the Middle East. There's not a ton of water laying around. Like, whatever he's talking about, probably not this beautiful lake that y'all have up here. Probably not something that nice. And there he is. He's like, that's good enough, right? Is there anything that prevents me from doing this? He could have argued, like, well... You haven't had the baptism class yet, and we've got to take three or four months to make sure this is really what you want to do. 
And there are times for that. There are times that you want to make sure people know what they're getting into. But it seems like this guy understood pretty quickly that this was the way to eternal life. And he was on the move, ready to go. And there are times, brothers and sisters, that you'll run into somebody and you know that God's called you to go. And you pray the prayer and you say, God, who do you want me to go talk to? Who, do you, who needs to be loved? Who needs a friend? Who needs somebody to walk with them for a minute? And they are this ready. And they were just waiting for somebody to come along and give them the truth. It's about having the discussion and knowing where it is that you're going. Because you can lead discussions this way. Okay. Keep coming back around. You keep eating dinner at my house. You won't seem to leave. What is it that you find so attractive here? Well, I've never seen a family love like this before. I can't stop coming. Okay. Do you know where that love comes from? Let me tell you about it. This is why we live this way. And this harvest is immediate. I love it. It's the rich dude in the chariot with like all this power, all this wealth, all this stuff. And immediately he's like, boom, done, stop, baptize, let's go. When somebody hears from the voice of God, things change like that. I don't care if it's here in America. I don't care if it's here in West Milford, I don't care if it's overseas in France. It's the same reaction. Somebody hears the voice of God and everything stops. Like, whoa, this is new. And it's amazing. It's such a privilege to wake up every day and know that that's the kind of interaction you could have today. That's the kind of interaction that could be happening on a regular basis in your life where you're walking with people, you're caring for them, you're loving them, you're living out a life of worship to the king. And people see that. And they can't help but be attracted by it. They can't help but be attracted by Jesus when he's lived out that way. And that first time, that they hear the voice of God, I literally had somebody stop dead in their tracks. Like they were walking, and it was like, bam, the Lord showed up. It can't be ignored. And look at his reaction. Look at the reaction to the eunuch. He goes on his way rejoicing. He doesn't go on his way, oh, woe is me. He doesn't go on his way broken. He goes on his way restored, rejuvenated, rejoicing. Sometimes I think in the church we've forgotten that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe it's me. We are allowed to have fun as a body of believers. We are allowed to laugh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Our lives, 
let me give you an example of what this could look like. One of the people that God has laid on my heart in France um, delightful person, absolutely wonderful man. Spend time with him and his kids. We're sitting out back at their pool. And I'm watching our kids play. I'm just crying watching our kids play because it's just so beautiful. Now, you might wonder why I would have so much emotion about my kids playing. One, it's because I'm sappy and emotional. It's how God made me. I'm not going to apologize for it. Two, it's because I've seen my children suffer because of the decisions that I've made. I am not with them today. I do not get to go to church with them all the time. I have made them move across the ocean so that they see their grandparents maybe once a year. For some of you, that might be a good thing, but for me, it's really sad. I have seen them struggle in French schools because they don't speak the language. And unlike America, where if you don't speak the language and you show up in a school, you get an aide and somebody who follows you and helps figure out how to get you into the language level that you need to survive, that is not what they do in France. And I saw my daughter come home every single day from school the first year that we were there, crying her eyes out because she doesn't understand what's going on. I watched her go an entire year and speak French one time. She said one word to her teacher all year long. And I had her teacher shame me because I wasn't teaching her French fast enough, a language I myself did not speak. And so I'm watching my children play in French, sing songs, have friends, and I'm crying. He's like, dude, what's going on? It's like, you don't understand. I never thought my life would be this beautiful. And he looks at me dead serious and goes, and I'm sorry if this isn't PC enough for church. He's like, you know, I take drugs to feel the way you do right now. How do you get there? How is it that you can maintain that state without imbibing some sort of substance to get you there? It's an unfinished story. But it's why we're there. There's this neat thing the CMA does, and it's what you're funding as you give to the Great Commission. It's what you're funding if you choose to support us as international workers, because frankly, it does cost money to do what we do. France isn't cheap. It's not as expensive as here, but it's more expensive than Africa, just being real. If you're, if you're doing a dollars to souls analysis, I don't know if there are any accountants in the room, but if you're doing a dollars to souls analysis, France is pretty expensive. And the question is, are they worth it? Here's the thing. Ethiopia, I don't know how many people know this, this might be just a fun piece of trivia. Ethiopia is one of, has one of the oldest branches of Christianity in the world. There is an Ethiopian church that runs unbroken from this conversion to present day. When Philip is called out from the brethren, Guys, I think God's telling me to go walk on the desert road south of Jerusalem. All right, Philip, off you go. And he goes out there and he's like, guys, you won't believe 
what happened when he's coming back. I'm imagining after he gets teleported away, because we're going to get to that too, because I would love that. Um, when he comes back, he's like, you'll not believe what God asked me to do. What? He asked me to approach this chariot with this Ethiopian, and I baptized him. They didn't know that literally 2,000 years later, that work would still be bearing fruit. Now, I imagine he as a deacon may have had some responsibilities at the church, and that when he got called away, there were some things that didn't happen because he was gone, because God literally picked him up and teleported him somewhere else. And as someone who's done an international move with two small children numerous times, Lord, please, if I could have just one spiritual gift. Spiritual gift of teleportation is like very high on my list of things that I would love to do. Because it is really hard, y'all, to get all your life into eight bags, put it on a plane, and fly somewhere else. And I imagine there was some sacrifice in the local church while he was gone. There was a vacuum in leadership. Somebody else would have to step up and take his role. Then maybe they get a letter back from Caesarea saying, hey... The Lord is really blessing the work that I'm doing here. Things are happening. People are, weird Ethiopians are converting. Like, help me out. And they might have to send him some money. They might have to do some stuff. But is it not worth it in the long run when God calls us to go and we go? And he tells us to proclaim his gospel and we proclaim his gospel. And there's a harvest of people. If you think about Philip's ministry to the Ethiopians, how many Ethiopians does he win? One. And now we have a church that's been literally millions of people for thousands of years because he was faithful to reach the one. This is what the CMA does. This is our model around the world. We go where the gospel isn't. Obviously, this this eunuch, he was just in Jerusalem. He was just at the temple. He had a copy of the Bible. But he needed somebody to make that final connection for him. So we go to where the gospel isn't, and we proclaim who Jesus is through our lives, through what it is that we're doing, how it is that we're living. And then God doesn't just sunset. Philip. Okay, you did what I asked. Are you ready for the next assignment? And God picks him up and puts him in a new place. And this is what the CMA does. It's what we're doing in France. We preach the gospel, we transform locals, and we hand the ministry off to them and move on. You might be wondering, okay, so you're here this year. Who's running the church? And the answer is the church is running the church. It's just a tiny little church plant, maybe 20 people. But they're supposed to be, this morning, they're supposed to be writing their articles of incorporation. And I praise the Lord for that, because if you think American paperwork is bad, French paperwork is like a whole other level. And I'm so happy that they're doing that without me. One, because it's not about me any more than it's about you. It's about what God's already doing in the hearts and minds of the people that are there. And two, it's about empowering other leaders to stand up and do what God's called them to do. So let me conclude with two things. Hopefully, you've been convinced to go. That if you've been teetering on the edge and wondering if God's sending you to go, you can take this as an affirmation that God is, in fact, calling you to go somewhere. Whether that's across the street, down the lane, or across the ocean, 
He's asking you to go somewhere. And that when you get there, your whole life will proclaim who he is and what he's done for you. And I guarantee you will see a harvest. It might just be one Ethiopian. And you might be tempted to go, "Mm -hmm. Jesus, was it worth it? But I feel like the answer to that is always a resounding yes. That when the kingdom advances, no matter how small it seems to our temporal eyes, he didn't know that he was establishing one of the first branches of the Christian church forever. But that's what God did through his obedience. And he got sent again. And continued to be sent. So, I have uh, this prayer. It's a prayer of sending. Because I believe that I'm just one missionary talking to a group of like 30-something, 40-something other missionaries right now. And so let me pray a prayer of blessing and sending on you because I believe you're all sent. Um, So if you would please just uh, open your hands in a posture of receiving and receive this blessing. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.